2 Chronicles 33.1 Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Like unto the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name, shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Now that's really... Uh, an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing when you consider a lot of things, but one of the things that I consider is that he was the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of my favorite kings. You know, when you're reading through the kings in first and second kings and first and second chronicles and the history of Israel, and they're slightly different. They, they complement each other, these records. But uh, Hezekiah, much is written about Hezekiah. He was a wonderful man. He wasn't perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But uh, I want to just read a couple of things about Hezekiah. And I want to keep in, in relation that Manasseh, who we just read about, is King Hezekiah's son. All right? And look at the differences in these two lives. Turn, uh, keep your spot there. because We're going to go back to chapter 33. But turn to chapter 29. And I want to read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip it down. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them, because Ahaz had been king before him and it shut down the temple and the temple worship and things were in disarray. The Levitical priesthood was all out of sort and he in the first year of his reign said we're going to get the house of God back in order. He got God's house back in order physically and he restored the Levitical priesthood and so forth. Wonderful, wonderful man of God. Look at chapter 32, verse 32. Chapter 32, verse 32. At the end of that chapter, right before what we read about Manasseh. Now, the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness. I mean, the Bible just mentions that, his goodness. Behold, they're written in the vision of Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So typically, when you're studying the Israel, the history of Israel, the kingdom was divided uh, 
in Rehoboam's day, the son of Solomon, the northern and southern kingdoms. And typically, not every time, but typically the kings of Israel were the most wicked and the idolaters and it led the people astray. But the, the kings of Judah were typically better. You know what I mean? The good in the sense of keeping their eyes on the Lord and walking with the Lord. So it's unusual. You know, Ju- uh, the, the kingdom where, of Judah was where Jerusalem was. The kingdom of Judah is where Solomon's temple was. And this was David's lineage, okay? And Solomon, Solomon's lineage. Manasseh was one of those. That's why it's all the more, uh, not that all the kings of Judah were perfect by a long shot, but it, it mentions him as being, let's look back at verse 9. Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and do worse than the heathen, okay? Whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So it was unusual that a king of Judah would have been this wicked and this far outside of the will of God uh, and, and uh, in disobedience to the Lord. I just want to read a couple of scriptures that I've written down for time's sake. Uh, this is almost the same record in, in 2 Kings 21.9. God sent prophets and men of God to speak to Manasseh. Okay, Not only to Manasseh, but the children of Judah that were were following after his idolatry. But they hearkened not. And it says, And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Another passage says, And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations and done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and made Judah also to sin with his idols, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. You know there's going to be a judgment for this. He's not going to allow this to go on, especially in a king who's leading his people. The temple's there. He set up idols in the temple. Okay. Uh, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all of their enemies. Uh, one more scripture. And, and it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside the sin where he, wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that thin, thing which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I've wanted to lay the little groundwork right here at the beginning by reading a lot of scriptures. I want us to see the, the absolute uh, sinfulness and godlessness and wickedness of this man. He filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. He shed innocent blood. The Bible says he made his own sons to pass through the fire. Some of y'all may know what that means and some not. You'll see that at times in the Bible in the Old Testament. The Amorites and these other Moabites, these other nations, these other Canaanites that were in the land before Israel possessed them, they were horrible, horribly wicked. They weren't just lost. They were horrible idolaters. And God wanted the Israelites to be separated from them because He knew if they intermarried and hung out with them and became business partners and friends with them, that they would be seduced. The Jews would be seduced into worshiping in their idols. And so there was to be a total destruction of the Canaanites and an establishment of Jehovah in His worship and the tabernacle and the temple and so forth. 
And, but the, to pass through the fire was uh, the god Ashtaroth and some of these other gods that, that uh, these, these Baal worshippers, they would heat up, they had an iron uh, statue, an idol. I don't know how big it was. But they would heat it up in the fire till, till it was glowing white hot. And they would take their children and offer them as a sacrifice and place it into the hands of this scalding hot idol. It was, it, was a, a, it was a murder. It was killing them. And, and this was part of what their God, they thought their God wanted. And I would say, who would want to worship a God that delighted or received as worship the sacrifice of, of you know, babies? Uh, but this is what Manasseh was doing. He was joined into this. He made his own son to pass through the fire. That's what that meant. And uh, there was great... Uh, great wickedness and God is bringing a judgment. I want you, if you still have your Bibles, to, and back in chapter 33, 2 Chronicles 33, I want you to read this in verses 12 and 13. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Alright? And this is just amazing to me. Well, I'm going to back up to verse 11. I'm sorry. Wherefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh, among the thorns. So here's his judgment, okay? God promises whoever hears about what's going to happen, going to, ears are going to tingle. But he, has a, uh, he sent prophets to speak, speak to Manasseh and the people of Judah, they wouldn't listen. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when... Verse 12, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And listen, this is the part that blows my mind. We read about what he had done. You know, it would be one thing to read it five minutes in a sermon, but to have really lived there and see him go into the temple of God and set up idols to Baal within the temple and more idols outside in the courtyard. And he seduced the people of his nation, God's people, God's heritage to worship and filled the city and the, his kingdom with innocent blood and did worse than the heathens around him. Morning, noon and night, morning, noon and night, day after day, he reigned 55 years. I don't know what point in this reign it was, but it's God brings a judgment. And he lets the Assyrians capture him. Says they took him to, through the thorns. I don't know exactly what that means, but they carried him to Babylon. And when he was in his affliction, when he's at the lowest point, bound up in a foreign country, away from his home, away from his kingdom, he realizes this is the judgment of God, like the prodigal, okay, in a sense. And it says, he besought the Lord in verse 12, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and listen, and he, the Lord, was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him, brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And we're going to read some more. And I know you've read these stories. If you've read through your Bible, you might not remember it all totally, but... This I was reading this and I just had to stop and think, Amen, what a Savior. Amen. What a Savior. What a God. What mercy is extended to sinners. It really is an amazing thing. 
God's mercy, y'all, this is what we're going to talk about today, is what it keeps us. It's because God is merciful. It's His mercy that saves us. The mercy of God saves sinners. I know you can say Jesus saves, and you can say grace saves, and I understand all that. But we're talking about mercy today. And His mercy saves us. And the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. By the washing, uh, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost and the washing uh, of, of the Spirit of God. And so, it, it's a holy attribute. This mercy of God is a holy attribute of the Lord. He is merciful. He is ever merciful. And it is on the grounds of God's mercy that men can approach God. It is on the grounds of, that God is merciful that in His holiness, sinful men can approach Him. It's only because God is merciful. It's only because He's merciful. And it's, all, it's, it's only because God is merciful that salvation is offered to sinful men through faith in Jesus. Okay? Through faith in Jesus and the blood that He shed. Uh, and that's extended to sinful men and women. I just want to give the definition of mercy. Probably just what you would think it would be. It means kindness towards, okay? Kindness towards. It means uh, favor. It means pity. It means compassion. It means tender. And the example that's given in, the, in the, the Bible dictionary for this, for the word mercy, is cherish, like cherishing the fetus in the womb. I'm thinking, wow. It, the mercy of God is like how tender you would be and cherishing and taking care of that life in the mother's womb. Cherishing and taking care of that little uh, harp, harmless, <coughs> no, innocent, helpless little life that's delicate and fragile. And the compassion towards that and the mercy and, and the tenderness shown to that, uh, that little life. And I want, to re- I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations. Now, that's right after Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wrote this book of Lamentations, lamenting about Israel's uh, sin and, and the captivity that they'd gone into. Lamentations chapter 3. You're going to, you're going to recognize this passage. We're going to read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 21. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. In other words, I'm a person that's seen the affliction, the hand of God. They were deserving of it. Okay, this is the Babylonian captivity and so forth. Skip down to verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. The Lord is my, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. But he says in verse 9, it's up, I'm sorry, it's, I, I recall this to mind, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies. They were not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. And I, I want us to see that 
not just say, what does this have to do with me? That's Manasseh and all his wickedness and so forth. It has everything to do with me and to, and to do with you. God's mercy, we ought to magnify the Lord for that. We ought to thank the Lord for His mercy. i got to recall this to mind. I'm no different than, than Jeremiah. Our country, for example, is no different in one sense. We deserve the judgment of God. Every bit or more than Israel and Judah deserved it. I think it was uh, Billy Graham's uh, wife that said if, if, God, uh, if God doesn't judge America, He's going to have to resurrect Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to Him. And I know she's just not speaking like prophetically. She's making a point there that, uh, that, that our sin and wickedness, and that was in her day, okay? How much worse now? But it's God's mercies. It's because He is a merciful God that, that we're not consumed. And the Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. In Isaiah, our iniquities have hidden His face from us in one sense. And, and the Bible says that our sins have earned us something. The wage of sin is death, right? Not just physical death, but a separation, an eternal separation from God, from fellowship with God, from the family of God, from His heaven, from communion, from His peace, His joy, His life. Uh, wages of sin is death. It's serious. I mean, that we, we were by nature the children of wrath before God saved us, but he, but he saved us out of His mercy. Okay? And so the Bible says in Romans 6, uh, 21, that uh, what fruit, Paul said, speaking of believers, when you were lost and in your sin, what fruit did you have in those things, the way you lived and the things that you're now ashamed of? For the ends of those things are death. So the only thing I've earned myself is death. Okay? All I've earned myself is death. So how is it I'm so blessed? How is it I'm standing here before you today with the gift of eternal life? How is it I'm standing here today forgiven and cleansed? How are we standing here and can go to the Lord in prayer and be part of His family? How is it that we have a hope that's set in our hearts and our eyes have been opened and we're not groping around in darkness and living in sin, bound up as slaves to sin anymore. It's because of God's mercy. Okay? It's because of His mercy. Uh, God, in His mercy, hasn't dealt with us according to our sin. Amen? Hasn't dealt with us according to our sin. Just listen to this. I'll read it. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in, in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. That passage starts, but God who is rich in mercy. Okay, He's rich in mercy. It is a characteristic of God. It is a trait of God. And we have to understand that God has chosen to deal graciously with men. There's nothing on our part that earned it or deserved it. There wasn't a little glimmer of hope. There wasn't a, a portion, some tiny little ember of or coal or ember of burning goodness in my heart that was good. And the Lord says, I'll blow and fan on that and get that flaming up. Men, there's none that doeth good. There's none righteous. There's none that seeks after God. They're all together become unprofitable. There was nothing good. So what is it about God that can be in Him that would cause Him to extend God who is rich in mercy. It's His mercy that extends salvation to sinful men and to say, I want to justify you. I want to pronounce you innocent, though we're guilty as can be. He knows it and we know it. He knows it better than we know it. 
and pronounce you innocent and just and cleanse you up. And I want to make you my sons and daughters. And I'm not ashamed to be called your God. What is it in God? Yes, His love. Absolutely. Yes, His grace. Absolutely. But the Bible says His mercy is extended towards sinful men. Listen to this. If you're, if you're taking notes, jot this one down. It's a wonderful one. Psalm 103, 10-12. I'm just going to read it for time's sake. Psalm 103, verses 10-12. through 12. He had not dealt with us after our sins. You know this passage. You've heard it before. Maybe you didn't know where it was exactly. He had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. All I want to say is thank you, God, that if you have dealt with me in mercy, you had your choice how you could deal with me. You could have deal me, dealt with me the way that I deserved. You know, people cry for justice, right? We demand justice. They don't really want justice. I don't want justice. I want God, the judge of all the earth, to judge rightly. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying we don't want justice. People demand this person has more money than I do. I demand justice. Okay? Justice is not what we want. We want mercy. Okay? We want mercy because we all deserve hell. That's just a plain and simple fact. That's what I deserved. That's what my sins and the wages of my sin has earned me. So a lifetime of sin before I knew Jesus, you know what the Bible says? We didn't know it, but we were storing up wrath against the day of wrath. We were just building up. Man, we didn't even realize the wrath of God that we was, He would have been totally just in dispensing upon my life. Okay? We were by nature, by very nature, the children of wrath. And he would have been perfectly just in just going, okay, you die before you get saved. And going and judge me in my, in my sin. Because the wages of my sin is death. And, and yet he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But he has dealt with us by his mercy. It is an attribute of God. It is a characteristic of God. And I wanted to read this little illustration I was reading. There was a, a woman who was a... Her son was a soldier in Napoleon's army. And I don't know what the offense was, but her son in the, in the military had broken some one of the military codes or one of the laws of, of Napoleon's military. And I'll just read it. It says, A mother approached Napoleon <coughs> seeking pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. He said, your son does not deserve mercy. And he said, well, yes, sir. The woman replied, it would not be mercy if he did deserve it. Mercy is for all who ask for it. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared her son. I know it's just a carnal thing. I know it's just a natural thing. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy, would it? 
we can, we can stand here today and worship God together because He's merciful. Who redeemed thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, the Bible says. Now I want to just mention this and tell about, uh, you know, we, we, we say we're saved by grace, by faith. We read a scripture that said we're saved by mercy. They're intertwined. I think we could be do ourselves harm. They are, they are different, but they're so interrelated in the Lord. We could do our... Uh, I think we do it in justice to try to dissect grace from mercy in one sense. And you might have heard this before. Grace uh, is like... Mercy would be like God not giving us what we do deserve. Okay? I deserve hell. God didn't give me hell. That's the mercy of God. I know this is oversimplifying Grace would, would be like God giving us a blessing we don't deserve. So not only did He not send me to hell, He gave me heaven and all that's with it. And all that's in Christ Jesus that's freely mine. Okay? And joy upon joy and, and children and you know blessings in this life and blessings in the life to come. Uh, but the, uh, God is both. God's both gracious and He's merciful to sinners. It's both in Him. It's part of His nature and quality. His love, His grace, His mercy. And I've heard the definition for grace, for example, about uh, unmerited favor. It is that. That's a proper definition. There's another one we maybe don't hear as often. And it, it is uh, the, uh, a divine benefit and its influence upon the life. In other words, divine means it's from God. Okay, it's a benefit, God's grace upon my life, and then, and then how it influences my life would be an example of the grace of God too. But uh, they're, they're both in the Lord, they're both given to us and extended to us. We're saved by His mercy, we're saved by His grace. It's because God is merciful, amen, that we're able to, to come to Him. God is able to and willing to extend mercy to sinful men. It's in His heart to do that because he's he's merciful. He's merciful. He was merciful in the Old Testament, okay, which we've been reading. We've read almost all Old Testament scriptures. And again, you'll hear this in our day, and, and we have to guard against it. We hear people say somehow that God was a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. He is not. It's because of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. Jeremiah in Lamentations, Old Testament. David that we read from the Psalms. I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, there's a dis different dispensation in the sense of there was a time before the cross where a Savior was promised and now we're living in a day since the cross. Okay? Where He's come and fulfilled everything. He came to be the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. But God has always been merciful. Always. This didn't just originate when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Uh, of His grace and you know, the fullness of it we received of His grace came through the Lord uh, when He came, but, but we received it more completely. But He's always been merciful. And He's he has provided a way to be merciful. He's provided a mercy seat. Think about that for a minute. Y'all know what the mercy seat was? Over the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the heart of the, the most inner chamber of the 
the tabernacle and then the temple was the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the, it was called the mercy seat. And really, you could, you've seen pictures of it probably studying the Bibles with these two cherubims on either end and their wings are touching in the middle. And the Lord says, there will I meet with you. That's Old Testament. I'm going to meet with you at that mercy seat. So think about it. Sinners approach God. We've talked, had a series on the altar. We come through that first altar, the brazen altar, the blood of Jesus. We go to that golden altar, that altar of incense, and then the most holy place of all, the Holy of Holies. And, and that's where the Lord says, I'm going to meet with you. So mercy seat would be the lid, basically the, the top for the ark. But there's a mercy seat, capital mercy seat, which is Jesus Christ. And that word means propitiation, which we've talked about, right? An atoning victim, an atoning sacrifice. It's Jesus, okay? God is merciful. He gave a picture of that through the, the mercy seat in the Old Testament worship. He provided the fullness of that, the mercy seat, just like He provided the Passover in Jesus Christ. And it's a propitiation. We are beneficiaries of His mercy. Okay? We are recipients of His mercy. God doesn't, and listen, God doesn't excuse our sin. I talk about this often. It's important that we understand that or we'll get, we'll get a wrong idea of God. We'll get a wrong idea of mercy. We'll get a wrong, wrong idea of grace. God does not excuse our sin. God doesn't look the other way and pretend like He didn't see. Okay? God doesn't overlook it. He doesn't belittle our sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug somewhere. Remember, we've talked about this. He does something far better. In His mercy, He forgives it. He cancels the debt. Bam! The debt's there. The debt is real. We owe it. The wages of sin is death. When nobody got away with it, there was death. It was Jesus' death. He paid for it. So we didn't get away with it. We didn't get away with it. We got forgiven. We got forgiven because why? He's merciful. Because God chose to deal with men not according to our iniquities and our sins, but according to His mercy. He's extending salvation through faith in His Son, who was the, the mercy seat, the, the propitiation, the atoning victim for the sins of the world. Nobody gets away with it. And I think we do a great just dishonor and disjustice to uh, injustice to the Word of God and to God's character. We pretend like He's like we are who may let things slide that are sinful. He doesn't let sin slide. Everyone's dealt with. It's all put on Jesus. Everyone. He bore it all. Nobody got away with it. He, he suffered okay, and died. He was made to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Where? In Him. All right? In Christ. And so, mercy is not looking the other way and pretending like I didn't see. You know, the kids disobeying the back seat or whatever. Uh, mercy is extending forgiveness to that when we know full well we deserve the, the wrath. We deserve the punishment and the judgment. It's fitting. His, his justice is perfectly uh, uh, suitable, you know, and measured out for the crime, for our sin. It's death. And yet He hasn't done that because He's merciful. We have to put our faith in Jesus. That's where the mercy is extended. We, um, we're blessed. We're saved. 
because God's merciful. We're cleansed because God's merciful to sinners. And and the Bible says, I'll just read this quickly. Blessed be the God and Father, Peter says, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so it's, it's again by God's mercy. We know the scripture where Peter says we're a chosen generation, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So there was a time when not being outside of the Lord, he was merciful, but we didn't benefit from it. We hadn't obtained it. You understand what I'm saying? But now we've obtained mercy. People are dying and going to hell every day as we speak. Somebody's dropping off into hell while we're having church here today. Okay? And yet God's merciful to them. They haven't obtained mercy because it's going to come by faith and trusting in Jesus where though He's merciful to them, He was merciful in giving His Son Jesus for their sins. He's merciful in sending somebody to bring the Gospel to them and this inner witness in his heart, and they've shunned and turned away and continued in their unbelief. And he's still merciful, but they haven't obtained it. In other words, they didn't realize they benefit from God's mercy. Does that make sense? We have. And we ought to be thankful for the mercy of God. I ought to be more thankful than I am. He hasn't dealt with this according to our sin, but according to His mercy, and that's why we're not consumed. By God's mercy, he has provided, He's pardoned and saved and justified sinners. He's enabled men. And then we're going to move on just a little bit and read some more from, from uh, chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles. He has enabled men to be reconciled unto God who's holy. Who's holy. And to have a right relationship with Him. Believers have been justified freely by His grace and but also empowered by His Spirit to live a life that would like show forth the praises of God, like we said in quoted from 1 Peter 2, right? And, and his marvelous light in the midst of darkness. In other words, because we've been a recipient of his mercy and called out of darkness into his marvelous light, because he's merciful and I received it by faith in Jesus, that's also like an empowering to go live for God. Okay? It's because He's merciful that I can be merciful to somebody else. And not just say, well, you did this to me. Well, yeah, they did do it to you, but you've been, Randy, you've been shown mercy, so you don't do it to them. You understand what I'm saying? You're merciful. Be merciful. And there's that, that uh, parable that's given about the, the wicked servant. I hadn't, hadn't looked it up and planned on reading it, but you know, he's a servant. And he went and begged his master for forgiveness. His master was about to throw him in the debtor's prison until he could pay his whole debt. He owed his master a lot. And he begged for mercy on no grounds other than just mercy. Have compassion on me and I'll pay you all. And he says that the master had compassion and forgave him his debt. Over. Debt is canceled. You don't owe it to me anymore. It's gone. That same servant went and found another servant that owed him a couple of bucks and, and said, I'm, uh, and the, the guy, pay me what you owe me. And the other servant said, give me some time, I'll pay you all. And he said, no, I'm not. He had him thrown into prison. And, and, the, and the, the, the story is, you know, they, the other servants went and told their master what had happened. And he was 
wroth. He was angry. He took that first servant that he forgave and he says, I forgave you a great debt. Should not you? Should you? It has to do with compulsion. It has to do with what we ought to do according to God. Should you not have had compassion and pity on this other servant and forgiven him his debt and had that first servant thrown back into prison? And so, because we've been recipients of mercy, it enables us, like God's grace does, to, to be merciful to others. To live a life that's out of step with the rest of the world. Not in just some weird way, but in a godly way. It's a godlike characteristic and a trait to be merciful. If God was not merciful, no one could be saved. No one could be holy as He is holy in all manner of conversation. No one could serve the Lord. No one could testify of God's mercy to others if God wasn't merciful to us. And so He has been. And we can testify of His power to save. And I want to look back. Look at this back in 2 Chronicles 33. We're not going to be too much longer. So we read this, okay? 2 Chronicles 33. Verse 12, when he was in his affliction, we saw how wicked Manasseh was, right? He besought the Lord, his God, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed unto him, and it says, and he was entreated of him. You know what that means? Entreated means it means that God received worship from him. He could have said, forget this God. You know what I mean? It's over for him. I'll be nice to some other people, merciful to some other people. But it says he was entreated of him. It means to hear his prayer. That's what it means to be worshipped of, to receive it, to hear his prayer, to give attention to it and hear. And he prayed unto him. He was entreated of him. He heard him and brought him again to his kingdom. Okay. Then, verse 13, Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 15. And he took away. So Manasseh goes back to his kingdom. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places yet unto the Lord their God only. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers, that would have been the prophets, that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they're written in the book of the kings of Israel, his prayer also, and how God was entreated of him and, and all his sins and his trespasses and the high places where he built, uh, the, where he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Before, behold, they are written in the book of the sayings of the seers. I just think it's interesting to see through no innate goodness of himself, no turning over a new leaf in life, no repentance other than this. He sinned against God worse than the heathen around him. He, he led his own nation, whole nation into sin. He had a great responsibility being king, but king of Israel, especially Judah, and he led the people in sin, shed innocent blood. God judges him, warns him by prophets, and then judges him when he doesn't heed the warnings. And then in his affliction, he cries out to God. There's nothing he's done to deserve it. And the Lord says, I'm hearing your prayer. Look how, look how he's humbled himself. 
And he receives that worship. And he says, I'm bringing you back to your kingdom. It had an effect on the man's life, I guess is what I'm saying. There are people that God has spared. They should have died in a car wreck. They should have died of a drug overdose. They should have died of this, that, and the other. They were foolish. They knew they were foolish. They knew they were out of God's will. They sinned horribly and they should have died a thousand times. And God didn't judge them or kill them. And yet they don't ever change and don't ever repent. You know what I'm talking about? They just keep on in their sin. They know they shouldn't. They know God was good to them. But at least Manasseh, as wicked as he was, okay, and he was wicked. That's why he spent that much time at the beginning of the sermon to lay it out there. He humbled himself and then he comes back and he, he repairs the, 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 the temple. He, he takes the idols out. He cleanses it. He gets things straight. He knows God is God. But he doesn't only know that God is God. He begins to worship Him and turn to Him and lead the people and command the people, no, we're going to worship God. He's been merciful to me. We're going to worship Jehovah God. And I just wanted to read this, this one scripture. It's almost identical thing. We know Ahab and Je Jezebel. I mean, they're synonyms for just being wicked people. Ahab was king of Israel earlier, a, little, a few kings before, not of Judah, but of Israel. And Ahab, we know about his wife Jezebel and him and how they... Uh, Ahab killed a man because he wanted his vineyard. You know what I'm saying? And took it. And like a little kid saying, oh, I got it now. Had an innocent man killed because he wanted it. And they were all into Baal worship and everything else. But when he was tried, it says this in 1 Kings 21 of Ahab. See how the Lord says this of him. See how Ahab humbled himself before me. It's almost like the Lord's almost excited about it, impressed with it. See how the Lord, he's telling Elijah this, I think. How Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but in his Sundays, son's days will I bring evil upon his house. It's just an amazing thing of God that we would turn the least little turning, okay? We haven't changed. We don't make a bunch of oaths and promises that I'll never sin again or anything like that. We just turn and say, have mercy upon me, a sinner, right? And... And God receives that. God's entreated of us. He hears our prayers. We call upon the Lord. It, it makes a difference. And I'm closing with this thought, but what a difference it makes that God is merciful, first of all. And what a difference it makes when men know that He's merciful. And we can walk in like a gladness and a joy and a thanksgiving. And it ought to spur us to want to be holy. It ought to spur us to want to, to love Him more and to walk with Him more, and to please Him more. The Bible says, David says, we're shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin. I mean, but we know that too. But for me to know that I'm shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin, and yet God is merciful to sinners. And for me to call upon Him, to humble myself before God, to acknowledge my sin before the Lord. We know this, this parable, I'm going to read it, and the publican, publican and, the, and the Pharisee in the temple, right? And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes in the heaven, but smote his breast. I just want you to get a picture of it. The Pharisee is the religious man who actually in this, this particular one, Pharisee didn't know God. He was in his pride. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of what I have. I'm certainly not wicked like that publican over there. Okay, That's his prayer. And the Bible says he's prayed thus with himself. And I thought that's exactly right. 
It was just him and his prayer. God wasn't in any of that. He stood and prayed thus with himself. But the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, smote his upon his breast, saying, God, do what? Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We're seeing the mercy of God. Okay, and talking about it. So I'm, I'm going to be wrapping this up. But the people of God who have immeasurably benefited from the mercy of God should praise and thank Him for that. We should praise and thank God for His unfailing mercy and compassion. We should magnify the mercy of God and the God of mercy. This is not, this is not found anywhere else. This love of God, this mercy of God, this grace of God. <clears throat> Every other religion is based on some type of uh, performance. You know, you keep, you keep this and do this and, and maybe it'll work out for you. God will smile on you in the end. Reincarnation, everything else. It comes out to you treating better than they, you know, people better than you, they treated you and that kind of thing. And this is not what it is in Christ. We come and we're by, not by works of righteousness we, which we've done, but according to His mercy has saved us. Then being saved of that, now we have obtained mercy. Now we should show forth the praises of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I'm going to read one more scripture and I have one more little story I want to tell. Nehemiah, okay? The rebuilding of the, the, uh, the walls and getting the city back in order after the Babylonian captivity. And he's praying. He's recalling, he's recalling the sinfulness of his people. And he says, in refute, We refuse to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But hearken their, they hardened their necks in, in their rebellion, appointed a captain to return to their bondage. That's Israel in the wilderness. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Guess what? Elijah knew this about God, right? He knew it. it's important that we know that about God, because otherwise we would think it's hopeless. So I'm in my sin. It's I'm over done now. Might as well eat and drink and be married, right? But Nehemiah knew this. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and you forsook them not. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them thy light in the way wherein they should, should go. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Amen? The Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. So having obtained it and received it, we need to be merciful to others. And I would say this, if we're lost in sin, if you're here today and don't know Jesus, He's merciful to sinners. If we're saved and we've strayed from God, we're backslidden into some type of sin, we know we're not where we should be with the Lord, don't be afraid to come back to God. He's merciful. If, if we have a lost loved one, a child, someone that's uh, lost, we can pray for them, God's merciful. If we have a, lo a loved one that's saved and they've strayed from God, and often to who knows what in the world, God is merciful and He can bring them back and extend mercy to them. I want to read this story in closing. There was a man named Robert Robinson. 
You've been saved out of a life of sin under the, the preaching ministry of George Whitfield. All right? Whole life of sin. He gets saved in, in England. And shortly after that, at the age of 23, he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Streams of Mercy Never Ceasing. We know the, the song, right? Um, not too long after this, he, he, like the prodigal son, he wandered off into the world. So he wrote that beautiful song, got saved, and he gets back into the world and the whole life of carnality. One day he's traveling by a stagecoach, sitting beside a woman. The woman's all involved in her book. And she looks up. She, obviously, she'd been reading this. She looked up and she said, hmm, I'm reading here and it says, it says, uh, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the, the God I love. And the man sitting right beside her burst into tears. And she goes, what do you think of that, that line right there? She was all excited about it. It's a true story. He burst into tears and said, ma'am, I'm, I'm the one that, I'm, I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn. Many, many years ago, he said, I would give a thousand worlds if I could enjoy that feeling I had then. And although the lady was surprised, she reassured him that streams of mercy still flow today. And it was just a few seconds later the Lord touched him and he turned his wandering heart back to the Lord and was restored in the right fellowship. That just shows the mercy of God, y'all, to care for this man. He saved him, backslid. And what are the, what are the odds, so to speak, you know, uh, of sitting on the train with this woman and she's sharing the same thing that he wrote. God's merciful. It makes a difference in our lives when we know He's merciful. It makes a difference when others, when we're praying for them or dealing with them or how we deal with them. It makes a difference in us not getting haughty and prideful in any way. I'm only, we're only standing here today because He's merciful. That's it. He's merciful. He didn't deal with me according to my sin. He dealt with me according to His mercy. Y'all stand with us. And these altars are open. I just want you to come. While you're coming, I want to read what David wrote from Psalm 145. But let's just pray. Can you, if nothing else, can you just come and thank the Lord for His mercy and begin to exalt Him and magnify Him? Maybe we haven't thought that much about it. Well, I know I'm saved. I gave my life to Jesus by faith. We wouldn't have given our lives to Jesus by faith if He hadn't been merciful to us in the first place. And He drew us and He called us and He offered a mercy seat. The mercy seat. Jesus Christ, there will I meet with you. David said this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. Even the people that are cursing Him right now. There are people that are cursing God right now and they're going to die cursing God. And He's still merciful to them. His mercy is over all of His works. What a God. What a Savior. We, we ought to thank Him. Take some time to thank the Lord this morning. And Father, I want to thank You, Lord.